0: It is great to see you. Before we open the Bible together, we are going to pray and expect that God would speak to us. Let's pray now. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus, asking that you would feed us with the bread of heaven. Give us clear minds and a little cerebral sharpness so that we can grab a hold of your word. But more than that, spiritually prepare us to be fed and encouraged and blessed. Water our souls, we pray. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't know his name. It might have been Shamua or Shaphat or Paltai. Maybe it was Gadiel or Sethur. Maybe it was not. In, in fact, I said we don't know his name. He might have been a she. This may have been a male or a female. I guess, ultimately, his or her name is not what's really important. How long this person had been wandering in the wilderness, we don't know. But we do know the story. After Egypt, the children of Israel journeyed through the wilderness. We're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 27. Listen to what they say. Because the Lord hated us. He hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt, to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, We have seen the sons of the Anakims there. If you know the story at all, you know what's happening here. The children of Israel had come out of Egypt. Certain spies had been commissioned by God to go and check out the land. And that was the response of the people to the lying report, the book of Numbers calls it, of the faithless spies who came back from the promised land. Hearing all of this, hearing this faithlessness and this defeatism, Moses intervened. And Moses said, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you. According to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness, where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee, as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until ye came into this place. Notice what he says next. Yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God. Now they were whether they realized it or not, standing on the brink of the promised land. They heard the report. They were faithless instead of being faithful. This was the great controversy playing out. God had said, you go, I will lead you, I will open up the way before you. He had already led them out of Egypt miraculously. Miraculously. He brought them down to an ocean, opened up the Red Sea before them. They crossed through on dry ground. Why would you doubt anything after seeing that? This was truly the great controversy. They had evidence that God was with them. And then on the other hand, the other voice speaking to them was the voice of doubt, a voice of caviling, a voice of distrust. God said we can go. Here are some faithless spies, only 10 of them. Or maybe we should say... As many as 10 of them saying otherwise, we can't go, they're too strong, they're too big. Two voices playing out. Listen, you know already that I want to apply that to your heart and mind today. Two voices playing out. God has said he will lead me. The world, the enemy of souls, sometimes it's your friend, sometimes it's your self-doubt saying, I don't know if God can lead me. It should have been a straightforward journey. A journey of days, maybe 10 or 11, less than two weeks at the most. But they traversed the dry, rocky countryside for four decades. And notice this phrase in Deuteronomy 2, verse 14, until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host. And that brings us to our man or our woman. We don't know which. The job of the 12 spies sent by God to investigate the promised land was to bring back a report. They were reporters. Whoever this individual might have been would have been one of those people who who heard their terrible report. It's like God said to the spies, just tell us what happened? That's all. Just tell us what you saw. That's all. Just bring back a report. That's all. Survey the land and come on back. And they did come back. And They said in Numbers 13 and verse 27, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey. Well, that was good. And this is the fruit of it. You remember they brought back a a bunch of grapes so big it had to be carried on a stick. Two men carrying the thing. We went and saw it. It's just like we were told. Look at what grows there. And then there came a word on which everything hinged. Just one word. Just one word. Nevertheless, that was the word. Nevertheless, we saw it. It was fabulous. Look what grows there. But the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Now verse 30 says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. "...and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel." There's that report, an evil report. Revolt and open mutiny quickly followed. You know, the fact is sometimes people don't need much to discourage them. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Then they turned against God— Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Wouldn't it have been better for us to return to Egypt? And they said to each other, Let us make us a captain, and let's go back. Let's return to Egypt. They accused not only Moses, they accused God Himself of deception. They accused God of promising them a land which they were not able to possess. They even appointed someone to lead them back to the land of their suffering and bondage, the land from which they had been delivered by the strong arm of omnipotence. And what was that life like back there? It was terrible. There, They were forced to make bricks without straw. They were enslaved back there. But the old life of captivity was more attractive to them than the new life that God had promised them. Can you imagine that? It's like someone being put on death row, getting out of there into society and saying, I'd rather go back there. That's just what it's like. But worse, because this had eternal consequences. You know, I read where somebody wrote, if only the two men had brought the evil report and all the ten had encouraged them to possess the land in the name of the Lord, they would still have taken the advice of the two in preference to the ten. Can you imagine that? God had promised, you are going down there, I've prepared a home, I'll get you there, I will drive out your enemies, in you go. And they saw what they saw and interpreted it to mean that God was not God. That's what it was. The one who spoke and it was done, who commanded and it stood fast, the one who said, Let there be light. That one said, I'll get you in there. I'll get you in. And they went down and saw the land. And then they read the signs as though it would have mean, not even God who opened up the Red Sea. Not even God who hung the stars in the sky. Not even God who created the trees, not even God could bring them successfully into the promised land. And one individual was in the middle of it all. The prayer of an unbelieving multitude will ultimately be granted. The Lord declared this, As you've spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upwards. But your little ones, which you said should be a prey, them will I bring in. And they shall know the land which you have despised. And so imagine choosing not to believe God, and then finding out too late that God indeed was not a liar, that God truly meant what he said. One by one, the people began to fall in the wilderness. How soon the funerals began, we don't know. And of course they heard God say this, you're going to die out there in the wilderness. I am inclined to think that many, maybe even most people didn't believe God. God had said, I'm going to get you into the promised land. They didn't believe that. And now God says, if you're 20 20 years old and upwards, you're going to die out there in the desert. I wonder if these, particularly the young, strong ones, thought in their hearts, oh, we'll be fine. When you're young and strong, you don't expect to be dying at all. You don't expect sickness to overtake you. But as they journeyed in the wilderness, to Pihar Hiroth, to Zara, or Mara, rather, where the waters were bitter, to Elam with its twelve wells and seventy palm trees, in the wilderness of Sin with its quail and manna, in Rephidim, where God told Moses to strike the rock, in Libna, and Mount Shepher, and Jotbathan, and Kadesh, if they made it that far, as they journeyed to these places, they began to die in the wilderness. I wonder how that went. First person dies. Someone said, this is the sentence of God. And somebody else said, oh, no, no, that's old Levi. You know he's got a bad heart. No, he's fine. Rather, he's not fine. He's dead. But they were saying, this is not God. I'm wondering out loud here. Oh, Levi, he was on his last legs anyway. It's sad. But he was going to die. And maybe people said, "Oh, okay, you got a fair point. But then the next day, somebody younger died. Well, you know, he had a a dicey heart or he had diabetes real bad. or, Or maybe there was a problem we didn't know about. But after a while, there were so many deaths nobody could deny. They were from different tribes all around the place. Maybe word didn't get around the entire nation really quickly, but before long, that's exactly what happened. People realized that what was happening to their fellow men on a day-to-day basis was that affliction that was striking all of them. No doubt people would meet with others around Israel and somebody would say, Did you hear, oh, Reuel died, or, or, or did you hear this one, Amiel died? Oh, not another one. Dread would grip the heart of our friend, this last man or last woman standing. The funerals began, and the funerals continued. And with every funeral, the conviction would sink in further. God is not a man that he should lie The word of God is true. Clearly, God means what he says. Why did I not just trust the word of the Lord? We know that these people did not enter into the promised land. It says in Hebrews 3 and verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And it's impossible not to see the parallel today. You and I both are standing on the edge of the promised land. God is doing all he can to prepare us for the heavenly Canaan, just as he was seeking to prepare the descendants of Jacob to enter the earthly promised land. And there's one thing that's going to keep us out of heaven. No, it isn't lying. It isn't stealing. It isn't adultery. That doesn't have to keep you out of heaven. It isn't Sabbath breaking. It isn't alcohol use. It isn't worshiping graven images. You know I'm not recommending that. Revelation 14, 12 speaks of the saved where it says, Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Faith, my friend. Of course, I'm not diminishing living before God with integrity. I'm not minimizing sin. But I'm telling you what you already know. Christ dwelling in your heart by faith will transform your life. And if you're a little frustrated at the lack of transformation you are experiencing, go back to God again and again and tell Him you want more of Him. You want His power. You absolutely have to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. As Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1 and verse 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choice of you. For as long as you practice these things You'll never stumble. Another translation says, Make sure that you make your calling and election sure. Imagine being the last man standing or the last woman standing. That futile journey, perhaps as long as 40 years in the wilderness, knowing all the way that you are not entering into the promised land. I want you to pause with me here for just a moment. You can imagine, can you not, when the funerals began and people started burying their family members and their loved ones and friends and people they kind of knew and the funerals were happening at such a rate that people realized what God said was true. Those over 20 would die before they reached the promised land. You can imagine that father who was never home from work. You can imagine that mother who was always running off with her friends. You can imagine that daddy who never ever made time to go to his kid's soccer game you can just imagine that dad who who never sat down and read a book with his kid you you can imagine you can imagine that mother who was always too busy to show her daughter how to do this or to sit down with her son and 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 help him with her, his homework you can imagine that family that never went on vacation because Someone was always too busy. We never had enough money, even though they did. We don't want to be doing that. I just don't want to take the time. It seems like such a hassle. You can imagine now, dad is not missing the ball game. Mom is taking time to sit with the kids in the evening. She's visiting her friends and, and then she's going home because she don't know how much longer she's going to have. People aren't fussing and arguing over nothing like they used to because now it's serious. We are going to die. Those family ties became very, very important. That husband who'd been treating his wife with a lack of dignity and respect, maybe right now he's straightened up and realized how absolutely fortunate and blessed he was. That wife who, who did not show any respect to her husband, not because he was not the sort of man who would command respect by his bearing, but because she just didn't care. I don't know why it might have been. Now she looked at him differently. She said, he's a precious man. And she realized she wasn't going to have him for long because her next door neighbor just buried her husband the previous week. You see, circumstances were now conspiring to cause people to recognize how serious life was and how precious things were. And more importantly, how precious people are. Friend, do we need to stop and think? Do we need to stop and think? Do we need to ask ourselves, are we investing the time in our family members that we should? Are we taking the time to visit the in-laws or the outlaws are we inviting grandma and grandpa to come and see the children when they call do we make time to see them are we investing in our friends are we taking time for our children our husbands and wives taking appropriate amounts of time for each other or is one of them merely an absentee here they were looking towards the promised land dreading Ruing their decision to be faithless. Those ten spies, how terrible they must have felt. If only they hadn't shrunk in the face of what they saw in the promised land. If only they were able to say, Our God is able. And it could have been just so easy. It could have been so easy. Just believe God. That's all. Just believe the word of the one who called the universe into existence the one who formed all things by the breath of his mouth. And if I make it sound too simple, I don't. The prophet of old said, the just shall live by faith. Abraham is called the father of faith. He was fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. In the Bible, the entire book of Romans is given so that we can understand a person is justified by Faith, the book of Hebrews, you could turn there. Look, I found it right there. It contains an entire faith chapter. The book of Revelation speaks to us of righteousness by faith. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he said, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Listen, friend, faith tells you some things. Faith tells you God created this world. Now, a scientist or a biology teacher might tell you that the world has been around for billions of years. The news media, an article somewhere, a plaque at a national park, as you look out at a certain vista, will tell you, well, a gazillion years ago, this took place, there was a big bang, and then this age, and this age, and this age, and this age. All right, I'm not smart enough to be a scientist. I can tell you that. But I can have faith in God, which, whose word, rather, says, in the beginning, God Created the heaven and the earth. So, who are you going to believe? Well, this science sounds so attractive to me. Ah, but I can believe the Word of God by faith. This is the Word of Almighty God. Jesus died on a cross. How do you know? Faith tells you so. Historians wrote about it, Bible writers wrote about it, prophets prophesied about it. We believe it, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus died. For our sins. Faith tells you that Jesus forgives sinners. In the Psalms it says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. Paul described himself as the chief of sinners. And he rejoiced that there was salvation for him. Think about some of these sinners. There was a woman at the well. Jesus parked himself at that well so that she and he would connect with each other. He told her some of the secrets of her life. She tried to play that little game, pitting one race against another, one people group against another. Well, I am a Samaritan and you are a Jew. You know, when she ran back to the well, well, not to the the well, to the city, when she went, she said to him, how is it that you being a Jew? And then when she went back to the city, she said, come and see a man. You see what faith in Jesus does? It loses these distinctions. You no longer see people through bigoted eyes now. You no longer criticize one group of people for being a certain race. Extol or perhaps criticize another for being another. The woman at the well met Jesus. Jesus, And this woman was a sinner. A card-carrying sinner. She was an expert at sin. Yet Jesus met her and Jesus cleansed her, forgave her, changed her life. Similar circumstances... Woman taken in adultery. I would somebody say to me, why is it always the women? You're kidding me, aren't you? You know what the story was, don't you? There was a woman taken in the act of adultery. It was evidently a setup. And so they dragged her out of bed, took her to where Jesus was. I imagine she grabbed a sheet or something to try to protect her dignity. You know, those men who condemned her were Hypocrites. Jesus bent down and wrote in the sand. Somebody suggested that Jesus was writing their sins in the sand. Aren't you glad Jesus writes that sort of thing in sand? He doesn't set it in concrete. I tell you, there were men there who were guilty as sin. And Jesus, as it were, excused them too. He tried to reach their hearts too. Where are your accusers, woman, Jesus said in She looked around and said, I don't see any accusers. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. There are too many people today wrestling with their own sin. Surely there are some people who've committed some terrible sins. But the Bible says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But I don't feel that way. You don't need to feel that way. The Bible says it. Believing what the Bible says is faith. Why should I believe what the Bible says? Because the Bible says it. Because this is the Word of God. Because thousands of years have only served to strengthen the believability and the trustworthiness of the Bible. If you are a sinner, and you are, then you can know that God forgives you. I don't feel forgiven. The Bible doesn't say you are saved by grace through feelings. The Bible says you are saved by grace through faith. You find those verses. 1 Corinthians 15, in it? Verse 3, Christ died for our sins. You read that. You say, that includes me. He died for my sins. God forgives me. Dishonest Zacchaeus. He was a crook. He was hated because he was, was a servant of the occupying Roman forces. Collecting taxes from his own people and turning that over to Rome as revenue. And yet Jesus spoke about that crooked little man and said, Salvation is come to this house today, inasmuch as this man is a son of Abraham. This man was a crook, he was a thief. That's what he was. But Jesus recognized repentance in his life and he said, Let me give you. A new heart. You know, the Bible says, all you need is faith as a mustard seed. I'm going to read that to you. Will you let me turn in my Bible to Matthew chapter 17? We pick it up in verse 14. It says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him kneeling down and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's an epileptic and he suffers severely. Often he falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't cure him. Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Then he said, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. The disciples came to Jesus and they said to him privately, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Can you imagine that? If you have a little faith, imagine Jesus could have said, now listen, in order to be saved, you need to have faith like the Pacific Ocean. Faith like the Mariana Trench, deepest place on the planet. Faith like Mount Everest. Faith as broad as the prairies. Jesus might have said that, but he says you just need a little faith. Well, why just a little faith? If you have a little faith in a great God, then great things can happen. I want you to think of the great stories of faith. There was a man with a servant. The servant was ill. Word got to Jesus, Lord, come down and save this man's servant in another place. The story goes that the centurion said to Jesus, my my servant is unwell. Jesus said, I'll come down to your house. Centurion said, this is mind blowing. He's a centurion. He is a Roman soldier, not a Jewish rabbi, not a Jewish scholar, not someone who was raised by a mother or a grandmother reading Bible stories to them every night. This was the centurion. A Roman said to Jesus, you are not coming to my house. I don't need you to do that. Just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. That's all if you just say the word. I believe there is power in your word and that will be enough. And Jesus said, I've never seen faith like that ever. Not in all of Israel. You read that in Matthew chapter eight. What a story. The centurion did nothing more than you could do any day of the week. I believe there is power in the word uttered by Jesus. And that power in the word uttered by Jesus can change my life. Well, here we have the word of God right here. Jesus didn't utter them all, but he motivated them all. He inspired them all. And if you can have faith in the word of God, like that centurion had, boom, your life will never be the same again. Thief on the cross. Now, listen, you notice what we're talking about here. Woman at the well woman taken in adultery. Centurion Roman soldier, thief on a cross. We are not talking about the faith of the apostle Paul or the faith of John the Revelator a week after he had written the book of Revelation, not the faith of Daniel. We are talking about faith manifested by people who evidently were not chosen from among the good angels. These were regular, sinful, weak, broken human beings. And when they exercised faith in Christ, great things happened. Thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. This was a thief, a crooked man. He had broken the law. He was being penalized and punished. And Jesus said to that man, not the. It doesn't say the thief who went to church every day. It doesn't say the thief who was in the synagogue every Sabbath. It doesn't say the thief who did good and gave alms and helped the poor and escorted little old ladies across the road and, and climbed tall trees to retrieve kittens and take them to their owner. This brother was a thief. His whole life had added up to the place where he was being crucified, and that was a miserable death. And Jesus said to the thief on the cross, I tell you right now, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus gave that kind of assurance to a thief. And then there was a woman who washed Jesus' feet. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. He said, your sins are forgiven. And this evidently was a woman with a reputation. Mary, the mother of Jesus, who said to the angel, who said to the messenger of God, Be it unto me according to thy word. That's Luke 1 and verse 38. Let me ask what's going on in your life. Are you living a life of victory? Are you living a life of joy? Are you living a life of triumph? Are you living a life of positivity? Do you meet each day saying, "Greater today," Or do you meet each day saying, oh, not another one? You wake up in the morning and want to s- sleep through the day rather than face it. One reason many people are living defeated lives is simply because they don't realize what God is really capable of doing in their life. Are you one of those people? You're not seeing God do great things because you're not asking Him to do great things. You're not putting God to the test. You're not taking the promises of God and claiming the promises of God and believing the promises of God and expecting the promises of God to be fulfilled in your life. You hear about your neighbor had a miracle. You're not experiencing a miracle. Other, of course, than a sunrise and a heartbeat and love and a family and food on your plate. But we're talking about the big ticket miracles. Someone else's grandma was healed. Yours was not. Someone else's wife avoided a car accident. Your wife ended up in hospital with a broken femur. What in the world? It's always other people. Hold on. God is willing to show up in your life and do great things. You maybe just don't know what God is capable of. You've been praying about something for a while. Maybe there's a sin in your life and it's defeating you. And you prayed about it. Lord, can you take away this sin? The weakness is still there. You're still falling down that rat hole. You pray to the Lord and you say, well, you know, maybe I'm just too weak. That's not faith. You go to God and you say, well, maybe it's really not that bad. And you try to justify your sin. When did you last go to God and say, listen to me, God, this must end? When did you last pray that prayer about your sin? When did you last say, look, God, I have a a bad temper. You know it. I know it. I don't want it. You don't want it for me. I cannot change myself. You must change me. When did you grab the throne of God and shake the throne of God and say, God, you must work in my life so that I'm a moral woman, a moral man, not some kind of immoral scoundrel? Did you hear about that woman in Southern California? She heard a terrible ruckus outside of her house. She rushed outside. Only to find a mountain lion dragging away her five-year-old son. So what do you think she did? Oh, she probably grabbed the phone. Uh, hello, uh, Kathy. What, what did you do when a mountain lion dragged your five-year-old son away? Well, uh, sorry, but a mountain lion never dragged. Oh, do you know anybody? You think she picked up her smartphone and Googled what to do when a mountain lion? No, oh, of course she didn't do that. You know what she did? She grabbed. No, she didn't grab anything. She rushed outside and ran towards the mountain lion that was dragging away her five-year-old boy, ran towards a mountain lion. And then what did she do? She started punching and slapping and hitting that mountain lion right in the face, as hard, as vigorously, as spitefully as she possibly could, let go of him, bam, 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 And you know the danger she was facing. Mountain Lion might let go of a five-year-old boy and decide to take vengeance on the mother that's going crazy and attack her. But that wouldn't stop her. She was beating on the thing. Bam, 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 right in the face. The Mountain Lion let go of the boy and took off. I imagine if she and her husband had had a conversation that morning and he'd said, hey, honey, what do you think you'd do if, uh, if a Mountain Lion ever dragged away our little Gavin? I don't think she. oh, that would be no problem. I would chase the mountain lion and smack him on the chops. I think she'd have probably, like most of us, shuddered a little bit and said, man, I hope that never happens. She didn't start every day saying, what wild man-eating animal can I go hand to hand with today? When the danger came, she went towards the danger and beat that animal off. She didn't know what she was capable of. People don't sit around planning for contingencies like that. People merely react or otherwise. And when the danger came, she knew what she had to do. I wonder if at the end of the day, she sat down and said, I didn't know I had that in me. I'm a guarantee. She had friends in her little walking group or her, her 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 peppermint tea drinking club or her garden society or her her karate club or whatever she was a part of. Guaranteeing you she had friends who said, wow, we never knew you had it in you. Who knew? You don't seem the type. She didn't know what she was made of. When the danger came, she rose to the occasion. You might be one of those people who doesn't know what they're capable of. And what I mean by that, who doesn't know what God is capable of. Did you know God can deliver you from that sin that's making a slave out of you? Did you know that God can change your heart so that your spouse admires and respects you rather than loathes and detests you? Did you know that you can carry yourself in such a way that the people at work are happy to see you coming? God can do that in your life. God can do that. Did you know your prayers can be answered? You're praying for a fine day for your daughter's wedding. and it's, you, You've been wasting God's time and wasting your own breath. Lord, we'd kind of like a nice day, but, uh, you know, whatever. No, you get on your knees and you speak to God and you tell God what you want and why you want it and how you're going to be satisfied with nothing less than the beautiful fine day that you've been hoping for. Now, if it didn't come, you're going to trust that God is God and you will leave it with him but you pray in faith knowing that he can. Your neighbor just went into hospital with some terrible illness. You aren't praying, Lord, maybe, Lord, I wonder. You are praying, Lord, get that person out of there alive, healthier than ever before. That's what God does. Are you selling God short? Faith doesn't sell God short. Faith sees to it that you grab the promises of God and believe them and claim them and ask God to, on the basis of His promise, do a great thing and provide deliverance or healing or support, provision of some kind. God can do it. God can do it. And He will do it for you. Some months ago, various charities started getting emails from a certain individual or perhaps a certain organization we have a million dollars. We'd like to give you. We have twenty million dollars. We'd like to give you. Fifteen million. Eighteen million. Two million. Twenty-two million. Now there were some charities, and among them were colleges, small colleges, YMCAs, that kind of thing. Some of them were charitable organizations that were set up to help other charitable organizations. There's all kinds. Some of them received these emails, and they said nonsense. No one's ever sent us $20 million. This must be a phishing attempt. There must be a catch. This cannot be true. But eventually, the email started coming. Uh, hello, did you get our last email? We have money we'd like to give you. Eventually, there were some of these places decided that they would respond. Uh, really? Really. One of the richest women in the world is a woman, a woman named Mackenzie Scott. And she decided to take her many billions of dollars, start giving them away. In about a year, if I'm not mistaken, she gave away about six or eight billion dollars. And were you're giving that money to small colleges and YMCA's and that sort of stuff, it takes some work to give away that amount of money. Sometimes when something seems too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Sometimes it's not. That gracious woman was giving away millions and millions and ultimately billions of dollars. I wouldn't blame you if you got an email from somebody that you didn't know saying to you, I want to give you a whole ton of money. If if you said, well, that cannot be true. But it was true. Sometimes things are just as good as they seem. And that's true of the grace of God. When the Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Well, that's just true. When the Bible says Jesus died for you, that's that's just true. When the Bible says, Jesus speaking, I will come again and receive you unto myself. that's, That's just true. When the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's just true. And faith says we believe that because it's the Word of God. One day, there was a last man standing, or was it a last woman standing? His or her faithful friends had all perished out there in the wilderness, and all those people who were once 20 and under were looking, or under 20, were looking at this man, this woman, saying, you're the last one. It can't be long. You're the, last. You're the last one. How would it be to be wandering through the wilderness? Today there was a thousand. A while later, 900. A while later, 200. And then there was 20, and then there was 10, and then there was a handful, and you were among the handful, and you knew it would be your time soon, and it would not need to be. If only God's people had had faith. The Bible speaks about another last man standing. This time it's not a single man. It speaks in the book of Revelation of the 144,000. Men and women who looked to Jesus and they trusted. And how does the Bible describe them? Revelation 14, verse 12. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Perhaps today your faith is weakening and God is wanting to do a great thing. Can you believe in God? That's all. The just shall live by faith. God said it. We believe it. Can we settle that in prayer? Would you pray with me now? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, give us faith. Those Israelites, 10 or 11 days, that's all it would have taken. But faithlessness saw them spend 40 years in the wilderness, many a lot less because they died out there. Our Lord God, bring us in from the wilderness and into the promised land. We believe in you today. Help our unbelief. Give us a constancy, a steadfast, not in us a deep abiding faith and trust in you we will believe your word and expect that you will do great things in our lives and in this world in preparation for the return of jesus in jesus name we pray please say with me amen thanks so much for being here god bless you god be with you have faith in god